welcome to the Research Culture Uncovered podcast, where in every episode we explore what is research culture and what should it be. You'll hear thoughts and opinions from a range of contributors to help you change research culture into what you want it to be. Hi, this is Ruth Winden, the Careers with Research Consultant at the University of Leeds. And this is Jed Hall, and I'm an academic development consultant, and I also work at Leeds with Ruth. You are joining us both for a bonus episode in our Research Culture Uncovered podcast. Now, so far in our podcast, we've used seasons um, of around eight episodes looking at different topics. My season is all about researcher careers, and it finishes on the 14th of June, 2023. And Of course, I say to you, check out my season. There's some excellent podcast episodes with researchers who've made some very courageous and strategic career decisions. And I've had feedback that it's been really in help, very in that it's been really helpful. So do check them out. My season follows Ruth's focuses in on research impact and its effect on research culture and hopefully how to make those effects positive. But the reason this is a bonus is because it really combines our two themes. And so we're delighted today to be talking to Sarah McCluskey. Sarah's worked in and around research since 1999 for museums, universities, learning societies, science centres, education providers, and she's now freelance, um, which includes running the Research Adjacent podcast. And that's where uh, where the, uh, our interview today will kind of focus. But, but Sarah, before we dive into that, I've given people a kind of quick thumbnail of your career, but uh, give people some, some flavours of it, you know, the, you know, maybe the highs, um, <laughs> you know, maybe you want to talk about the lows, but I'll leave that up to you um, and, and what you, what you really enjoy doing. Yeah, sure. Um, so I've I've been yes, as I now say, proudly research adjacent since uh, nineteen ninety nine. Um, I didn't. This is not any kind of career that I planned, as I think is quite a common story for people who do jobs like mine. Um, but I did do a PhD and then came out of it kind of thinking, well, I'm not sure academia is for me, but what else might be out there and during my PhD I had been doing things like um, I'd been going on kind of communication courses and media training courses and things like that and then also uh, running events at the students union I had holiday jobs working in um, visitor attractions and things like that so I had this sort of other skill set that I was kind of developing And I found myself right at the juncture when science communication was exploding. There were the Millennium Science Centres opening. It was very much starting to become a a strong area of focus for places like universities. And uh, and found myself just with kind of the right skill set to move into that area of work. Um, So that and then in and around that is what I've been doing then now for about 25 years and um yeah in terms of kind of highs and lows it it's been it's been a bit of a roller coaster I think I've just done so many different things and I can't claim to have had any kind of plan it's more just been going uh where my interests took me where the opportunities came up 
But something that is a really strong thread that runs through everything that I have done is that I love learning about stuff, which is where the science comes in. Um, and the research, actually. So I haven't just done all of my work in, in just science research. Um, and then I love sharing that with people. So that's where the communication comes in, the education, um, even running events and things like that. It's creating spaces for people to learn about these things. And I think that's the the, the thread that's really run through everything I've done. And um, in terms of, oh, goodness me, there's so many things I've done that I'm really proud of career highlights I used to run massive massive schools events um which uh, the biggest was the young people's program at the British Science Festival which was over 6,000 children which I ran in collaboration with um a colleague Colin Wilkinson um but then also down to some of the smaller projects and things that I've done I'm really proud of I've done some work around co-production with people with um lung health problems that I'm really proud of we did an amazing exhibition in Durham based on a medical humanities research project that I worked with um called uh Catch Your Breath uh which is just absolutely stunning really proud of it. its websites and things about that out there so I've I've just done all kinds of things and I think that in itself for me that variety and that interest that's almost a career highlight in and of itself Fantastic! It's uh, it sounds like a as you said, um, a real roller coaster with not too many downs. If you can have a roller coaster without downs, <laughs> <laughs> there have been downs along the way. I mean, some of the things that I talk about in the blog. Um, I think with any job, I'm I'm generally quite an optimistic person, and I think every job has had positive sides of it and negative sides. Mm of it um and I try to focus more on the positive side of things but often when I find myself moving on to do something else uh it has been because of of some of those downsides you know I had uh I had a job that involved an awful lot of traveling and that just didn't work for me and I had when I say a lot of traveling it was like two or three nights a week when I had mm. a young child at home you know and that sort of thing that that you just but I'm the kind of person who just goes okay uh, it's time to do something else now um and move on so yeah brilliant um so your podcast um mm -hmm. is called research adjacent and you mentioned that as well in terms of you know your career being research adjacent and proudly proudly saying that since 1999 um so can you give us the thinking behind why that title because um certainly in some areas like maybe um some universities are using a, a different term research enabler so I just wondered you know just interested in in terms of why research adjacent yeah sure I love the fact that everybody is trying to find the right language to talk about these roles I think that is really really important and um I I think enablers is research enablers is a step in the right direction but I don't think it quite encompasses everything that I mean by research adjacent um the term came about partly because when I went freelance, I was trying to figure out what to call myself. And I've done so many different things over the years that people would. And even when I talk to people I've worked with before, they're saying, oh, what are you going to what are you going to focus on? And I was like, well, I don't know. There's there's like all the communication stuff. And they're like, yeah, but you don't just do communications, do you? And I was like, no, I don't. And then I was like, 
but then there's all the engagement stuff and I was like yeah but I don't just do engagement stuff and then there's all the event stuff and it's like yeah but I don't just do events and I'm also you know there's all the education stuff and I'm a qualified teacher and training and all that kind of stuff it's like what am I going to call it and uh, I think partly it came from um, I've got a 12 year old daughter and lots of things in her world are described as something adjacent. It seems like a kind of language that uh, the young folks are using nowadays. And uh, and I needed a name for a panel that I was organising an event, uh, which was about careers uh, and about it was for ECRs and uh, it was about alternative kinds of careers that they might look at. And and research adjacent just kind of popped into my head. And it was only afterwards I started to think about the fact that that actually kind of described what I do and what I've done for my whole career. Because even when I've been working, say when I've been working with, with schools, a lot of that was working with universities and people who work in industry to help them to share their research through things like the STEM ambassadors program and share their research with schools. Or when I was a college lecturer, I was training students in how to do research themselves. So there's that thread that runs through everything that I have done. And so research adjacent just seemed to fit. And the reason that I prefer adjacent to enabler um, I'm, I is because, well, I'm definitely not a fan of support, which gets used an awful lot, um, because that creates this idea that the researchers are on some sort of pedestal and that everybody else is there to prop them up. Um, and in, in many cases, that's not true. Um, in many cases, a lot of the people in these research adjacent roles actually have a lot of influence. They have um, they make huge contributions towards funding applications, to strategic direction of research, to creating impact. So to just identify them as support is it's just belittling, to be honest. Um, and then um, enabling, I think, is great because a lot of these roles do help to make the research happen. Uh, so I think enabling encompasses that. But what I talk about is research adjacent actually goes beyond that as well. And I think a lot of these roles, there's the the research enabling roles, the roles that help research to happen. So that's the people who work in funding, they work in research management, they work in um the university services and systems they work in I've you know I've got a librarian who's coming on my podcast quite soon academic librarian all these people who help to make the research happen and um, then there's all the people who I think the focus is more on sharing that research with the wider world and that includes people who work in knowledge exchange people who work in research communications people who work in outreach engagement um, public involvement, all that sort of stuff. And I think enabling doesn't quite fit with what they do because they're more about sharing it um, with the outside world. And the reason that I think we need a way to talk, better way to talk about these roles is because people move quite fluidly between them. Um, there is a lot of these are quite developing fields. So I've been in this space for 25 years and nobody has had a 25 year career doing public engagement because public engagement didn't even exist 25 years ago. Um, research impact as a concept didn't exist 25 years ago. These are shifting and changing as time goes on. Um, so we need a broader way to talk about these roles um, rather than the, the specifics of what they do and to help people feel 
comfortable that they can move between them. Yeah, some some interesting things that uh, there were a load of things I'd I'd like to pick up on, but just for just for time, I think that the one about uh, you know the fluidity of these roles and and that the the kind of isn't a a curriculum to kind of learn how to do them is really interesting because that's that's certainly something in my field research impact that you mentioned there is something that we're really starting to discuss how can we create um that kind of curriculum and how can we support uh people to to explore that curriculum um within the within the roles that they're doing so that's that's certainly something that's uh, that's being discussed internationally actually yeah. you know uh, certainly being led by a guy called David uh, David Phipps in Canada through Research Impact Canada. So yeah, thanks for thanks for mentioning that. Now, the because I'm a uh, impact kind of nerd um, <laughs> or, or geek, whichever is your favorite uh, favorite term. Um, I, I was really interested in terms of you know, and I asked this question to ourselves. You know, Ruth came to me and says, "Hey, let's do a podcast," and I went to do what. for what what's the purpose so you know i'm always asking the impact question um so so what what were you hoping to achieve um with with your podcast and um and do you think you're getting there i guess yeah oh i am legendary for the so what question as well so what why are we doing this um why am i doing this podcast um it's for a few different reasons um i think uh as these things often are. Um, one of them is that I wanted to give these roles a voice. Um, so there's been there's a lot of talk about research culture at the moment, which I think is fantastic um, and really important and really overdue. What makes me slightly nervous is that in many cases, these kind of research adjacent roles are being left out of the conversation. Um, Particularly, I was particularly struck when I started the podcast, a lot of things all came together at the same time. Um, But for example, the UKRI's new public engagement strategy, which came out towards the end of last year, makes vague reference to support infrastructure to enable public engagement, it makes no reference at all to the people who actually make this stuff happen. It talks about researchers, it talks about the people that they want to engage in the research. It doesn't acknowledge the fact that there are people in the middle who actually are absolutely essential to making it happen. And I think that happens too often. So partly I wanted to just say, look at all these great jobs that are out there, these amazing people who are doing fantastic things to help make research happen and to help get research out into the world and get people involved in it. Um, so partly it was that, it was just to to kind of stand up a bit for, for my fellow research adjacent folks and, uh, and show what's possible. Um, so there was that. There was also the fact that in uh, previous roles when I've been in universities, I've worked a lot with, and even current roles, actually, um, I work with um, people coming out of PhDs, ECRs, people who are at that turning point of their careers and are looking at their options and often are quite fragile and quite anxious about what the future holds. And, And I wanted to provide an alternative story and rather than just saying oh you know 
only 25% of people stay in academia or whatever it is. It might even be less than that. I'm just making up numbers. Um, Rather than just saying, oh, 25%, you know, 75% don't make it tough. But maybe saying, look, here's other things that you could do where having an understanding of research is really valuable. Um, So that was another reason um, that I wanted to do it as well. And then on a purely selfish reason, because I'm freelance, it gives me an excuse to get to talk to lots of really interesting people uh, rather than just sitting in my house on my own. (laughs) Um, So those were all the reasons that I started it. In terms of whether it is uh, working, it's certainly been great for me and I've met so many interesting people and had so many interesting conversations. It's been fantastic. Um, And I've, I've had some amazing feedback. Actually, I've had people who are uh, people embracing the term research adjacent saying, yes, this describes me, this describes what I do, I love it, I'm going to use it. Uh, one person, Jenny Brady, who was a guest on my podcast, she said, I am captain research adjacent. So uh, so there's people really embracing the term, people saying that they feel seen for the mm. first time, that they feel somebody is talking about the problems that they are having. Because often these kind of roles are quite isolated. You know, there might be one person in a department and uh, in some places it's more coordinated, but other places not so much. So people saying that they feel that they've been seen and heard. And also a lot of people whose focus is on careers um, actually gain with that message of here are things you can do. Um, career options. Uh, quite a few careers people getting in touch as well and saying that, that it's a really valuable resource and they've been recommending it to uh, people that they work with. So all of that is fantastic feedback. Um and uh yeah, I just I just hope that continues to grow. Yeah, absolutely. I'm very supportive of that. Um, but it is, you know, it is the biggest question, isn't it, in terms of how do we know we're meeting our aims? And that's a that's a challenge that we're we're starting to really um try and get our heads around with our own podcast kind of you know are we making a difference to research culture just across the piece uh, Mm -hmm. and with all our different um flavors whether that's ruth's in terms of careers whether it's mining in terms of impact whether it was nick's in terms of open research you know all of those different uh practices um you know are important to test whether we're having an effect um, so great to hear that uh, that you're getting that that great feedback. Um, you've also kind of explored a lot of, as you said, a lot of different career paths, and and it was it's really interesting to see the mix of people you've you've interviewed. You know, people in working directly in universities, people in freelance roles, people who are business owners and kind of growing a business around uh, around a service that is, that is uh, I guess, interesting. What, how does that translate with the research adjacent in terms of, you know, if it's a service that's coming into, coming into research? But it just, just interestingly, um, I was kind of just, did you notice any differences between, you know, people who were directly employed and people who are freelance in terms of uh, things that were added to that experience or that were missing from that experience in terms of the freelance? And and, and kind of final question on that, in terms of for you, you've had experience in both uh, in both camps. So what, what for you is the, the kind of positives and negatives in terms of, you know, standing on your own two feet and growing a business yeah 
Um, yeah, I think I've noticed some differences um, between uh, what people do uh, in different sectors, which has been interesting. The um, I've got a few people coming up as well who work in charities and other organisations as well. Um, so I take a very broad view of what's what's considered research adjacent and um, not just roles that are in university, but but anywhere um, that people are um, helping helping research happen, helping me to get it out into the world. And I think that uh, the research culture question is a conversation that's really only happening in universities. So I think I've noticed that. And um, I've got somebody coming up in a few weeks time on the podcast. We've had a brief introductory interview, um, a brief introductory chat. And she has moved from working in a university into a charity but doing quite a similar role, but but in a charity, and she's really, you know, she's she just feels the whole environment's very different in a charity, and and there's much more sense of everybody being kind of aligned towards the same aim and working as a team and all that sort of thing compared to being in a university. So I think um, that's the so the research coach question is is a very academic one. Um, I think that a lot of the people who I talk to who have gone freelance, it's because there weren't opportunities for them within the university structure. Um, people like me, for example, I reached a point in my career where I was to to go any higher. And I, this isn't just in universities because my brother and sister uh, are not don't work in university my sister's an electrical engineer my brother's a product designer uh, they've had a similar thing you reach a level of seniority where either you go into management or you start to help develop the next generation that's coming up and I think that the only opportunity that was available to me in a university sector was going into management and I tried it and it didn't suit my strengths and interests and all that sort of thing there weren't opportunities within the academic environment to move into this developing the next generation um, side of things and actually bringing that focus on becoming a real expert in doing the work rather than managing other people doing the work. And a lot of the freelancers that I've spoken to, that's they've, they've had a very similar experience. So they've gone freelance so that they can specialise in the communications or the training or the, you know, um, creating those that content or relationships or you know whatever it is that their focus is um they've tended to go into the freelance world so they can do that because the opportunities don't exist um and so that certainly resonates uh with my story obviously the and and I don't know as well the 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 conversation my my heart absolutely goes out to anybody who is facing redundancy struggling with short-term contracts all that sort of things that again is a conversation that's only really happening in academia um and I don't know if it's that people going into something like the charity sector know that maybe it's a bit unstable and it depends on how much funding comes in. I don't know maybe it's just a different mindset um but the yeah the job security conversations seem to be slightly different obviously people going freelance know that the job security is out the window um but but then there's that sense of having personal control over it um that you've got when you're freelance so um yeah so those are some of the differences i've i've noticed i don't know if that's that's quite what you're thinking of um and in terms of my personal experience i've 
I love the fact that I get to just go back to being curious again, which uh, which was something that was lacking when I was in, as I say, I was in quite a senior role in a university. I had a lot of responsibility. I was having a lot of influence on the strategic direction of research. Um, but uh, I also was spending a lot of time doing health and safety audits and managing the building and that sort of thing, which uh, didn't set my heart alight. Uh, so I've really enjoyed that. But then the then there's the challenges of uh, working on my own and uh, having to kind of drive everything forwards myself. And sometimes I really miss having the, the team around mm. me. So I had the opportunity to collect, connect with people, but having a kind of everyday team, you know, that that you all feel like you're in it together. I do miss that sometimes, but uh, but yeah, yeah, it's 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 interesting. There's no there's no panacea, no no green grass that's always completely green no. and never never suffers from a bit of drought. So Absolutely. yeah, um, but it's, it was fascinating that uh, just picking up on on that point about you know progression and kind of like you you know, there only seems to be kind of limited scopes um, in terms of the, those options. Because I know Ruth, um, Ruth a little while ago really helped me to think that through for myself uh, as well in terms of do I go for that kind of big job um, and realise that, you know, it's taking you away actually from doing the thing you're doing and, but managing the thing you're doing. Um, and uh, you know that was that was a really helpful conversation for me. And, uh, and um, uh, as we're talking about Ruth, I'm going to hand over to her part of the interview. Thank you, Jed. Sarah, what you describe resonates so much with me because before I joined the University of Leeds in my current role as careers with research consultant, I ran my own business for twenty years. Oh. I was basically a freelancer and I used 20 years of my life to do the things I absolutely love doing and that freedom that you have to do whatever interests you where you can make the biggest difference the autonomy you know the quick decision making I think that's the thing I struggle most with in the academic sector is my word <laughs> do we take time to make decisions you know and I've been called um, impatient by Jed because I have that drive and that energy. Why on earth does it take so long? You know, so sometimes I really have to rein that in before it gets frustrating. But then also the flip side, as you say, you know, you are on your own and it sounds like exactly like me, Sarah, you had a really good, you have a really good network. There are always people you can talk to, but having that day-to-day -day team around you, that is priceless. You know, that that is a slightly different experience and also, for me, the motivation was I'd done so many different things and I thought having a place as my place for impact, probably not quite in the sense that Jed defines impact, but this is my this is my area. I know where the boundaries are. It's the University of Leeds. I have a clear mission and vision and ambition to, for instance, normalize career conversations I know now what I need to do, where I need to, you know, go to, you know, who I need to get on board to make that happen. And that is what surprises. But I also know, you know, I am giving up certain things. So as Jed says, it's always a compromise to some extent, and um, but no regrets so far. So, <laughs> Sarah, what I wanted to ask you about is you've obviously spoken to a lot of people in different roles. And can we focus on people in higher education? Mm -hmm. It's... For me, what I see, especially with our research adjacents, research enablers, 
what I hear the most as a trend is they feel stuck. You know, they, they feel stuck because they can't really progress. There are very few opportunities. Are, is this the same? And do you notice any other trends with, with those colleagues of ours? Yeah, that comes up again and again and again in the conversations I've had, Ruth, um, that, that people feel that in order to um, progress, they have to leave and go somewhere else. Um, and I think some of it is because the roles are often tied to projects. So they're, they're, they've got a very defined purpose. They've got a very defined period of time um, that they're for. And so there's no room to grow. You know, it's like you have to deliver this thing on this project, full stop. Um, some who've, who've the more, you know, I don't know, the more kind of enterprising ones have been able to then use that to get a foot in the door and to say, oh, can I help you write this next grant, you know, or whatever, and, and be able to get, you know, named on that. And then that's the next job. And then, you know, you get into those situations. But definitely um, the lack of progression, because there isn't, again, these jobs are just sort of, they're still sitting in most universities. There may be some that I don't know of, um, but certainly from my experience and people I've spoken to, they, they just don't quite sit anywhere. Um, so when I was at uh, my previous role, um, my immediate line manager the academic who who managed me was hugely supportive hugely hugely supportive and fantastic and um and so the team around me were great but then HR came in and said we have to put your job into a job family and there wasn't a job family that matched with what I was doing and I ended up being kind of shoehorned into the um admin job family but then that didn't reflect um, so much the other external liaison work, the communications work, those sorts of things that I was doing. I had another colleague in the same department doing almost exactly the same job as me who ended up being put into the research <laughs> structure. So nobody knows where to put them. And so because nobody knows where to put them, there's no sense of what it would mean to progress in that role you know what is a senior you know what is the next step up or what is a senior role in this kind of area of work um and so yes that is definitely um a common challenge uh some of the other things that come up repeatedly I've already mentioned the job precarity and the fact that the jobs are often tied to a specific funding period a project you know they're brought in it's like a year two years something like that and then you know if that's the end of funding that's the end of the job that's uh really common other things that people have other challenges that people have are that um again because there's no kind of recognized career structure there's no recognized of what what it means to do well in these roles there's no um professional development there's or there's very little professional development there's no way of demonstrating that they've done a good job and so to have that conversation about moving forwards. Um, so I think all those are things that come up really commonly. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because it means from an institutional point of view, every time people move on, 
we lose all that intelligence and all yeah. that internal knowledge and the next person then has to start again from more or less zero unless the person who left you know made some fantastic handover documents but if it's in a different department or a different part of the unit you know that intelligence, that knowledge is gone. Yeah. And it's interesting at the University of Leeds, for instance, you know, we have a strong um, you know, research innovation service unit. We have different units where people sit and some of them also sit in, you know, sit in departments or we have the library. But as you say, you know, there is very little in terms of what does career development mean like, mean where is the progression? What does it mean to do a good job? And I think there is a huge challenge for universities to develop that. I mean, one thing I noticed, for instance, is also in the area of project management. So in many universities, you know, we have more and more project management roles. I was a project manager outside of academia. And I know, for instance, there are very clear progression you know, points in a career as a project manager. And I recently spoke to an external project manager who came to the university and said, oh, um, so where where's the progression structure? I don't see it. She came in at a senior level and thinks, okay, where do I go next? You know, but I can't see anything. And I think we have our work cut out. And I know at Leeds, you know, the university HR service is looking into this because also it's about how do we retain people? Because it's, you know, you can you can earn money in different ways and in different sectors. You know that, I know that, Sarah. Um, Jed knows that he's been in different sectors as well. You know, you don't have to be in, in the academic system. You can go elsewhere. But obviously we want to have fantastic people, passionate people and keep them. Yeah. So where does it go from there? So that leads me on to thinking, Sarah, did anyone share any great tips or strategies? <laughs> because I often have to say, you know, I, as a career professional, I can work with people and helping them get over the next hurdle or find alternatives or, you know, stop even by recognizing their value because very often they struggle to identify that and articulate that. So that's the kind of work I do. But a lot of the, the issues we have are structural issues. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, what do you do in that context? But are there any tips you picked up from those conversations that are um, worth sharing? I'm sure there yeah, must be I one or two. I think there's some. I think um, in terms of specific tips, um, the, the general one seems to be that comes up again and again and again is uh, from conversations I've had is being open-minded and and keeping uh keeping your eyes open you know being interested in everybody getting to know people just keeping your ears out for where the next opportunity might be you know um and and being helpful you know being off you know doing not in the sense of like overworking but but just helping where you can and uh and doing what you can to contribute and then getting a bit of a name for yourself. So I think that that definitely comes up a lot being, and being kind of willing to to jump and go, you know, when the opportunities present themselves. And and uh, that's something that comes up. So being a bit kind of personally, you know, not expecting so your manager to say, you know, we're going to promote you and then we're going to do this, having to take a bit of charge of it um, yourself was it definitely comes up a lot. Um, but in terms of beyond that, in terms of, like you say, structural and institutional things, a lot of good conversations are happening. I think that's uh, the main thing that I would say. It's great to hear that that Leeds is looking at this. 
Um, the I know that the National Coordinating Centre for Public Engagement, they're doing a bit of work with an organisation called um, Praxis Oriel, who uh, are knowledge exchange. So the public engagement people and the knowledge exchange people are getting together to talk about what might a kind of standard job description look like or what might a progression framework look like for these kinds of roles. I know that ARMA is looking at this as well, so the Association of Research Managers and Administrators. So there's lots of these um, professional organisations are looking at it. Um, and I think in some universities, um, there are senior academics who are very supportive as, as well, um, because that's one of the things, there's been this sort of groundswell of... Um, dissatisfaction I guess I don't know what you might call it um and and people trying to push from the bottom up to get things changed uh, and I would consider myself very much part of that I have no real influence on uh, anybody or anything um but I think until we start to get some of the people in the positions of power uh involved in the conversation um nothing will really change and I think that some places as i've said already i'm i'm a little bit disappointed with the progress that some of the the, the contributions that some of the funding organizations and things are um making to this because um their focus is very much on researchers as if they are the only people that do the research whereas i think research is something that is done by a team and that team includes academics and technicians and administrators and communicators and impact people and knowledge change people and funding people and the whole lot um and until we start thinking of it like that um i think things might not change as quickly as we would like it's that holistic view that you're bringing isn't it sarah because there's so many different aspects so many different roles and together we make we make that difference but i also see a very slow but steady change coming. And as you say, I see a lot of initiatives and, and people are becoming more and more vocal about, because, you know, but we know without the structural changes, there's only limited impact that we can have with supporting people. I totally agree with that. It was interesting that you you talked about, you know, how proactive research adjacents have to be. And that is music to my ears because that's what anyone needs to do with their career management. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, so they're not necessarily different as, as but I often think they're almost like entrepreneurs, you know, they always have to look, you know, where's the next next gig coming from? What's my expertise? What difference do I make? Who can I talk to? And I always say it always starts with a good conversation. Mm -hmm. And yeah. that's also with, you know, the the people I had conversations with, with the researchers, the ECRs, very often it starts with a good conversation and realizing, oh, there are options or there are projects going or, oh, I didn't realize I'm really good at that, getting feedback. It's these conversations, making time for that, having these career conversations. And that's something I'm really passionate about. Um, that's my big mission. So funnily enough, Sarah, you answered two questions in one. <laughs> so perfect, you know, you, because I wanted to ask about the tips and the strategies you might have heard of, um, that openness that people have to have and seeing opportunities making them happen which obviously puts a lot of onus on people but it's also you know we are you know freelancers at heart you know it's also that's our sweet spot isn't it you know they're making things happen making connections um but it's it can be hard especially when you also have a full-time job to hold let's be honest about that you know but 
it's probably at the moment the best thing that we can recommend and also your observations about you know what's happening in 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 the structural sense in terms of funders and and different organizations active in the space and also the welcome trust put you know a big call for research proposals out um, recently that also focus more on the research of jason's and enablers so there is some movement isn't there so wonderful conversation and it's so good to see you you are making an impact and i also think okay we might not change the world but you know it could be one podcast episode sarah that just makes someone think oh i didn't know you could do that or oh i had never thought of that you know and i think that's what we're doing isn't it so i wouldn't really i wouldn't really (laughs) want to say sarah oh you're not making any impact because you obviously have you know listeners you get feedback and that's i think a challenge that we see when when you have a podcast how can people feed back to you so i do a lot more on linkedin these days and people are commenting you know it's an interesting medium you know unless they give us a review on apple or whatever they want to give us a review how do you know whether we're go- doing a good job and apart from the when you go to events music oh i've listened to episode x you know and i really enjoyed it and what did you enjoy you know that's sort of yeah. how i think how we're trying it's all anecdotal so i know jet will be saying well anecdotal. <laughs> <laughs> we need to measure it you know and i'm I, i'm looking at jet to see come up with a system for us to measure our impact that would oh. be I think I think it's always as well. I've um it's it's done me well throughout my career. Um as I say, I've done a lot of kind of following my nose and just doing see what what seemed interesting to me. And I think uh even I've talked a lot to researchers over the years about when you think about impact, sometimes it's thinking not so much about the impact you're having out there, but the impact you're having close to home. And uh if the only impact of it is that I get more confident about talking to people. I expand my network. I feel uh, more confident talking and things like this, you know, I'm happier to be a bit more visible and put myself out there a bit more. Then that's had impact on me. So I think um, that's and that in itself is worth. Wise words. And I hand over to Jed now, who I'm sure wants to say something about this as well. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Thanks, Ruth. You kept uh, you keep making me sound like I'm just a profit of doom you know what what impact are you having and how do you prove it that's just anecdotal never Jed never (laughs) yeah so so Sarah I thank you for such a an interesting conversation and uh, Ruth and I both wanted to thank you for your podcast because it it highlights so many different um, careers that are involved in research you know and are and are actually fundamental to as you said to the research happening so thank you very much for for kind of highlighting all of those different uh, career paths and, and career options uh, and it's actually fascinating to see the podcast actually valuing those careers it's not just showcasing that they exist but valuing that they exist uh, and the people who you know brilliantly undertake those uh, those careers so let's hope you know you do lead the sector um in that direction of properly valuing those uh, those careers um so just to remind you um 
all those people listening out there, Sarah's podcast is called Research Adjacent. We've mentioned the, the term a number of times and you know why uh, why now it's called that. Um, you can find links to it in the show notes uh, and it's also on all the major podca- podcast platforms and we'll put Sarah's own uh, on website as well in the in the show notes. Sarah, thank you so much and please can you say goodbye to all our listeners? Yeah, thank you so much. That's a really kind uh, send off there. Uh, thank you so much for inviting me to come along and chat. It's one of my favourite things to do. So uh, thank you. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much, Sarah. And see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Research Culture Uncovered podcast. Please subscribe so you never miss out on our brand new episodes. And if you're enjoying the discussions, give us some love by dropping a five-star rating and written review as it helps other research culturists find us. And please share with a friend and show them how to subscribe. Thanks for listening and here's to you and your research culture.